Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. As everyone knows, really the underpinning technology in terms of you know, the acceleration of electrification in the automotive space and in all kinds of different sectors has to be battery technology. And we talk about batteries quite a lot on the show. We've had people on from different companies with different technologies and different manufacturing processes, etc. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of battery content on the Avid podcast. And for today's episode, um, we've got something a little bit different. Um, so a different kind of battery technology. And we've got Jerry Barker, um, who is the chief technology officer at Ferradian. And he is here to talk to us about what they're doing with, uh, with sodium ion-based batteries. So welcome to the show, Jerry. Hi there. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Good to be here. So if, if, if we could start off, Jerry, just by uh, kind of setting the scene and getting to know a little bit more about you and, uh, and your background, that would be, uh, that would be great. So, so tell us about you. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, so um, as Ryan says, right, I'm, I'm CTO and founder at Bradian. Um, I've been in the industry quite a few years, more than 30 years, I'm guessing. So I did my I did my degree, my undergraduate degree in in chemistry at Brunel University in in London, and uh, hey, I wasn't I wasn't too bothered about battery technology right back then. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> you know, it was, it was all kind of primary cells and you know Duracells, Energizer, that kind of stuff. There wasn't that much interest in in battery technology, right? Yeah. If you spoke to someone in the street, Ryan, about batteries, they they assumed it was you know, it was alkaline manganese or something, right? There was no real interest. Yeah. But I, but I, I, got, a, I got an interest during my undergraduate degree in, like, advanced materials, applied advanced materials. So I decided at that stage that I was going to do a PhD and looked around and ended up going to Exeter University to work with a guy called Professor Bob Slade. In fact, I was his first PhD student at Exeter University. Which is down obviously in the southwest of England. Yeah. Um, and um, as I say, I was his first PhD student. And, and what we decided to work on was, strangely enough, solid electrolytes and, elect- and electrode materials for lithium batteries. That was where his interest was lying. Wow. And I kind of saw that, yeah, I saw it as a good fit, right? I was kind of, I wasn't interested in doing basic research or research just for research purposes. I wanted to do something a bit more applied. And, um, so Bob convinced me over, you know, a kind of long period, I went down and talked to him a couple of times, and he convinced me that this was something that was moving quite quickly, right? That, that maybe there was there was there was mileage in, in battery technology and also fuel cell technology. Yeah. So in um, so the like this is now going back to the late 1970s. I went down to Exeter University to do um, to do the PhD, and it's, I basically I guess it's all been downhill since then, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, so I spent, you know, spent three good years at Exeter looking at, strange enough, at that stage, going back all the way into the late 70s, early 80s, the, the kind of pinnacle of, of, of battery technology, of research in, in battery 
technology was was lithium metal technology, right? Okay. This is stuff that Stan Whittingham was working on at um, at Exxon. So Stan now just got the Nobel Prize, right? Shared the Nobel Prize. Yeah. But Stan Whittingham at that stage was working on, you know, high energy density lithium batteries. Mm. And if you remember way back when, if you know, if you know, if you know your history of lithium batteries, he was looking at lithium metal anode with things like titanium disulfide as the cathode, as a depolarizer. Yeah. And suddenly you've now got rechargeable batteries based on, on lithium metal anode and these, you know, chalcogenide uh, cathode materials. And suddenly, you know, instead of being something that is only, it's only a primary cell, you had secondary batteries that looked commercially very promising. Yeah. So that's what we were currently, you know, we looked at some other materials that, you know, uh, so the Exxon guys were looking at uh, things like TIS2 and had published and patented these things and were trying to commercialize. And we were working on things like um, lithium V205 and lithium niobium oxide. So new materials as depolarizers in the cell. Okay. So, um, so that was where it kind of got me started on, on the lithium batteries work. Wow. So, yeah, right, like right at the cutting edge of the the dawn of the lithium era it was it was very easy ryan then right to keep up with what was going on in the literature because you you could name everybody right there was 50 maybe 50 people in the whole world working on yeah i was gonna say you probably could fit you all in one room yeah we knew everyone right you could you could, you could read the papers you know the, the articles coming out in journals and you could you could basically keep up to up to date very easily with what was what you know what the big advances were yeah you know different now what was the uh, so back Back then, with the, what was the driver? So, so what kind of applications were people thinking about uh, with with lithium in mind? Did you guys have any idea back then of where it would lead yeah, to? Yeah, we did. Obviously, you know, primary cells. We kind of knew then then that that wasn't really a long term sustainable future, right? And just having primary cells, you're using, you're throwing away. So, yeah, for con- kind of consumer goods, I think one of the biggest applications initially that Exxon were interested in was it was telecoms backup. Okay. So backup, yeah. stationary backup. There was no idea about really about electric vehicle applications until maybe you know twenty years later. Right. You weren't kind of eyeing up the uh, the milk floats going down the street, thinking, "Wow, we could make that better." <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had we had the biggest deployment in the UK of electric vehicles at that stage, right? I think there was a hundred thousand milk floats <laughs> on the road. So we, were the TV. we were the early adopters in the UK. We lose sight of that, right? You know, yeah, yeah. it was all that acid technology, but um, yeah, we did have a lot, you know, a large deployment of electric vehicles, albeit they're only going at about five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, they probably uh, they probably did more harm than good. I think in the early days, uh, <laughs> trying to get, get over yeah. those. Uh, get over that. So, so, so then, kind of winding the clock forwards a little bit, you did your PhD, yeah. and then, uh, and then, what happened? Where did you go next? Yeah, no, I, I straight out of um, straight out of university. You know, you, you're typical when you come out of university at that stage. You, you you apply to all the big companies for a job, right? So I actually got a job at British Petroleum. Yeah. Um, so that was that was up in up in London. So I moved to British Petroleum directly after my my uh, PhD, and was working on um, conducting polymers and conducting polymers um, are materials that have potentially lots of applications. You know, they're they're used in things like OLED devices now, actually. But at that stage, one of the one of the proposed applications was was batteries. So I I then went to British Petroleum and headed up. Their research into 
lithium, strange enough, lithium and also sodium batteries based on, on conducting polymers. So again, there was still lithium metal or sodium metal anode with a conducting polymer as the cathode, as the kind of depolarizer. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty good, actually. I had the opportunity when I first got to BP. BP were great, right? I loved it at Sunbury. It was, a, it was like, a, it was like a, it's just like basically working on university research campus. It was absolutely fantastic. A lot of very smart people there. Yeah. And within, within, within getting to, to BP at Sunbury, within six months, they asked me whether I'd like to spend a bit of time at uh, the University of California, Santa Barbara. And <laughs> strangely enough, I said, yeah, that would be okay. Really? Okay. So <laughs> somewhere, then I guess Santa Barbara wouldn't be a bad place to go. Yeah, Sunbury. I mean, Sunbury's not bad. Sunbury on terms. Yeah. West London to the West Coast. I guess it was. It was a pretty good. It was a pretty oh, wow. good. Uh, pretty good deal. Yeah. But I, I went to I went to uh, Santa Barbara for a while and worked with. Um, wasn't at the time, but now is a uh, another Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, Alan Heger, and we worked on on sodium batteries, basically sodium batteries using conducting polymers. So it's kind of strange, really, how these things happen. And then um, came back to the UK, uh, and then BP kind of lost interest. At that stage, BP decided that it didn't want it. It wanted to really focus on on core activities as a company. Yeah. So so I transferred to to BP Solar to BP Solar, who who at that stage were one of the largest photovoltaics companies in the world. You know, two of the big ones at the time. Were BP and Shell. Right. It's funny how things work, <laughs> yeah. right? they're now back into it again. Yeah, yeah. I joined BP Solar and I headed up BP Solar's because by training at that stage I was an electrochemist now, right? Yeah. I didn't work so much in batteries. I was a pretty good trained electrochemist, so I headed up their work on uh, electro deposition of semiconductors, two six semiconductors for photovoltaic applications. Right. And we eventually took that to, to, to kind of to, to pilot production in California. That transferred to California as well. And um, that was an interesting technology. It really was. We, you know, to say, we scaled it up to it was a multi it was a multi-plate electrodeposition process where we were making high purity uh, semiconductors from a, from an aqueous deposition method, electrodeposition method, which at that stage was kind of unheard of. Yeah. So we were making we were making meter square size PV devices by electro deposition. So I kind of I kind of love that actually. But um yeah. but again things move on, right? Things yeah. move on. Yeah. You know, I I, I kind of guess my my first love was still was still batteries. So even though I was still working as as a kind of bench electrochemist, I guess, as my, my, my favorite thing is actually doing the science, I decided I, I really wanted to move back in into battery technology. And strangely enough, you know, rechargeable batteries had moved on a bit at this stage. So I joined a company called Valence Technology, kind of well known in the lithium ion area. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. has a very interesting history. Yeah. And Valence Technology at that stage had, had two facilities. You know, I won't go into all the background to why they had two facilities, but they did. It's a lot, lot to do with, you know, buying up the relevant technology. Their headquarters was in San Jose, California. But they had a satellite R and D facility in Denmark, right. so I, I moved to Denmark for a while, and um, within and with the idea that I was moving to Denmark permanently, right? I, so I moved to Denmark, and then 
within six months, they decided that a nine hour time difference with San Jose just wasn't working very well. So they, they, they invited a few of us to transfer to San Jose. So right. I moved. So I didn't even unpack, basically. I packed everything to go to Denmark, and then I never really unpacked anything. We, were, we just transferred everything, my wife and I, and we, we, we transferred to San Jose, which wasn't, again, a difficult a difficult problem. Right? No, but sunnier than, um, I mean, no, not casting any kind of aspersions yeah. about Denmark's weather or anything like that, but uh, San Jose is a little bit sunnier than uh, Denmark. It was a bit, yeah, it was a bit, a bit warmer. San, you know, I liked it in Denmark, actually. It would be nice to stay there a bit longer, but, yeah. you know, we to to um to california again obviously i knew california quite well so we moved to san jose um and that was the headquarters of valence technology and at that stage we were working on a lithium metal v6013 uh rechargeable battery with a with a polymer electrolyte and um it, it in a lot of ways it was good technology but um we hadn't solved or not that anyone had solved the problem with reversibility of the of the lithium metal anode. So dendritic lithium, mossy lithium, high surface area lithium meant that even though a lot of the performance characteristics of the cells was good, um, the safety aspects were not good. Yeah. Right? High surface area lithium, you know, a liquid fraction of electrolyte, even in the polymer, right? It's a gelled system. It's not a full, it's not a dry polymer system as the electrolyte means that when you get into, you know, into safety abuse conditions, there can be a problem. And that's really what put pay to, to the technology, this lithium V6013 battery. Right. So, so we worked on that. And this was now, we're now talking, um, kind of mid 1990s and lo and behold um uh, lithium ion had just had just kind of come up right from sony sony started in as you know everyone knows 1991 with with their with their with their hard carbon lithium cobalt oxide system that was migrated into graphite lithium cobalt oxide yeah and clearly that had a completely different uh, uh safety performance than than using um, lithium metal anode cells. So Valence at that, at that time decided it would transfer to being a lithium iron company. Hmm. Came away from lithium metal, even though it had a few contracts and we, we sold a few batteries, right? We did sell a few of these. You know, they had contracts with Motorola for cell phones and all kinds of good things. But uh, as soon as you got these things to a decent size, and by the way, at that, po at that point, we were working in collaboration with General Motors to make an electric vehicle battery out of lithium V6013. But General Motors didn't like the safety characteristics too much. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and that, just because um, there's, there's probably a little bit of a nuance there that people might not have picked up on. So you were talking, you've talked about two different kinds of lithium um, battery technology, lithium metal and lithium yeah. iron. So yeah. just like really kind of high level, what, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, really good point. It's you know it's the it's the crucial difference, right? So in a in a lithium metal system, it, when you when you're constructing the cell, you have you have a film, a, a foil of of lithium metal, and generally in a commercial cell, that that lithium metal anode would be something like seventy five to hundred microns thick. It's not insignificant, right? This yeah. is reasonably thick in electrode terms, and that would match up with the whatever. 
a cathode material you're using. In our, in our instance, it was V6013. That's actually a massive excess of lithium over what you need for the reaction. When you charge and discharge that lithium electrode, so that's what you do when you're doing the, the discharging and the charging of the cell, you get high surface area lithium formed. Yeah. In any kind of abuse condition, a short circuit, a crush, um, in a, some kind of hot condition perhaps, um, that, that really is a, a potential safety hazard. It's the, it's the nature of this high surface area mossy lithium in combination with a volatile electrolyte. That's a nice way. So the high surface area bit, you, what you're talking about there is on the, on the, on the lithium sheets, you get a gr growth of... of growth, you do. Exactly it looks right. a bit like moss. It does. Mossy lithium is quite... Mossy lithium, right? yeah, yeah. Google. Search it on Google, you'll see lots of it. It goes mossy. The best thing that happens is it goes mossy. It also goes dendritic. When it goes dendritic, it can penetrate through your electrolyte and cause, cause an internal, internal short, yeah. which is another problem. Yeah. So the migration was to lithium iron, right? So people had learned a lot about putting these cells together, but didn't really want to be using a, a lithium metal anode. So the, the migration meant that um, we, we, we turned to a carbon anode material, and that initially started out being either a soft carbon or a hard carbon, but soon changed to a graphite. Yeah. And, and when you do that, there are some implications that have come about, right? Is if you do that, all the all the lithium that's in the cell really has to come from the cathode material. Mm. So what I said to you before, in our lithium metal system with valence, we started with a lithium metal anode and a V6013 cathode. All the lithium that you need for the cell is in the lithium is in the lithium metal anode. In a lithium ion cell, imagine graphite when you start, and then you've got something like lithium cobalt oxide as the cathode. So it's, it's in an uncharged state. And when you charge the cell, lithium then transfers from the cathode to the graphite electrode to charge the cell. Yeah. But you've got no metallic lithium in the system. When, yeah. Once you've got away from, from metallic lithium, suddenly there's not any mossy lithium growth. There's no dendritic lithium growth. So the, the whole safety abuse um, problem kind of largely went away. I'm not saying lithium-ion cells are completely safe. Yeah. Not that we know there are some incidents, but they're significantly safer than anything you'd ever do with a lithium metal anode and a liquid electrolyte. Because you still get, with, with, with lithium-ion, you can still have some uh, issues with dendrite growth, right. you know, and, and, and stuff like that. There is a problem there, and that, that you know, you hear a lot these days about um, developing cells with fast charge acceptance. Now, very important for electric vehicle applications, right, Ryan? Where you want to you want to charge your lithium ion battery in in ten minutes, let's say, right? Yeah. If the rate at which you charge, there's a kinetic hindrance there, right? If you go too fast, then you don't do the insertion reaction into the graphite. So insertion between the layers of the graphite. It goes so quick that you get an accumulation of lithium ions at the surface, and that will cause a localized nucleation of plating and then dendritic growth. Yeah. So there's the problem. There's there's a real kind of there's a real kind of issue for people developing fast charge acceptance cells, and that you have to you have to really work on the kinetic issues around the anode electrode yeah. to overcome this problem of potential plating of, of lithium.
Yeah. Everyone kind of understands that problem, and there are ways of mitigating it. But like always in in battery technology, you 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 rarely get something for nothing, right? You have to offset something else, and that generally is energy density. Yeah, you have to make it in a slightly different way, more porous electrodes, thinner electrodes, this kind of thing, different electrolytes, and that generally causes a decrease in energy density. Yeah, yeah, and everyone's trying yeah. to rush to better energy densities, typically. So there's always a bit of a yeah. tug of war there in terms of what the key priorities are. Yeah, you're always probably, you know that's that. There's a thing called the Rigoni analysis, right? As well that you're probably aware of. Where you, you know it's the relationship between power density and energy density. Yeah, everyone's looking for good energy density and good power density, but but you trade one for the other generally, and everyone kind of understands that. Yeah, yeah. So, this is at a simplistic sort of practical level. You've you've seen or we've seen in the last few years this sort of big um almost like a separation out of of energy focused uh, research and energy technology so more and more energy density in in cells and then power focused and uh that's so it you, and you basically the acceptance is you can't really have one without uh no. well you can't you can't have one and the other you've got to sort of make a choice and go one that's, way or that's, the other. that's always the problem and like all companies even like Faradian, right our sodium iron company we we spend maybe 80% of our time trying to develop um, batteries for energy applications, mm. just because energy applications are, are, the, the, are the, the majority, maybe 80% of them is of the market perhaps, right? So we spend so much time on it. And we maybe spend 20% looking at, um, uh, you know, cells for power applications. Yeah. But having said all that, you know, power applications are growing fast. And we kind of, at Faradion, we split those into two different types of power applications. One where you need um, fast discharge rates, you know, it's your kind of power tool application, things like that, where you're discharging the cell maybe in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. But we also understand that that's okay, but you really need to understand the, the fast charge acceptance capability of the cell as well. Because if you're a power tool guy, right, you know, you're, you're using it for 20 minutes, but you, you want to be able to charge it back up in 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's the same really for, for um, yeah, I'm sure you're aware, right, for, for, um, for EV applications. You really want to be developing maybe smaller batteries that you can charge up in, in, in 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's that. Um... Do that. Because, you know, you know, the idea that you know, the, the way Tesla have gone and, and most of the electric vehicle companies is say, look, all this idea about range, about range anxiety means you have to go to larger and larger batteries, right? 60, yeah. 80 kilowatt hour batteries, which is fine, right? So you've got 300, 400 mile range. But I think, you know, there's obviously a cost consideration that goes with that and also a safety. Big batteries are more unsafe than small batteries. So, so I think there's a, there's a big push in in the market for the development of smaller batteries that you can you can charge very quickly. Mm. Cost advantage is much safer. Just have to have the infrastructure to go with it. But if you can rock up to a, a service station and charge your battery in 10, 15 minutes, yeah, I think that's kind of maybe acceptable because most journeys aren't that long, right? But if you need to go on a long journey, if you can charge your electric vehicle battery in 10 to 15 minutes. Hey, it's a cup of coffee, right? I think people maybe would accept that. Used to be called the uh, muffin stop. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So that's it. I think 
was the way to go, though. I think that's a good way of going. I think we all thought you had to go to bigger and bigger batteries, right? It was the Elon Musk way of going, right? If you want large range, you don't want you don't want 40 kilowatt hour, you need 60 or 80 kilowatt hour battery. But I kind of think that's that's not the way to go. It's a big cost. We all know the cost of the of the batteries. We we um we know as you get bigger, bigger batteries are more of a safety hazard. Gotta consider that. So smaller batteries that you can charge up very quickly, I think, is is maybe the way that a lot of the market's going to go. Yeah. So so <clears throat> to get back onto um, line here, because we've, we've probably yeah. put, sort of jumped into now yeah. Faradian territory, but... Um, yeah, maybe I should jump to that, yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, so, you've, so Valence has kind of um, come and gone. Um, and then... Valence, before I leave Valence one second, Ryan, why, why I got into sodium ion was Valence gave me the task of being... I was the research director for, for Valence, so I did all their materials research. Right, right. Valence, for people who don't know, were the first company in the world to commercialize lithium ion phosphate batteries, right? Okay. So we did that in 2002, and that was based on a material that I developed and a material that was made by our proprietary way of making lithium ion phosphate, low-cost lithium ion phosphate. But it was funny, right? At that time, we were looking at all a whole massive range of active materials for lithium ion. Yeah. When you when you start doing that kind of you know synthesis approach, you know we made hundreds and thousands of materials, screening them for for their properties in lithium ion batteries. I, I was making sodium ion I was making sodium ion materials at the same time. Yeah. And around about that same time, two thousand and two two thousand and three, it was a real kind of back of the fume hoods Friday afternoon kind of deal. We made we made some sodium ion batteries. Yeah. We put them together and we found there was absolutely no fundamental reason, no basic reason why sodium ion batteries wouldn't work in a very similar way to lithium ion batteries. Okay. So we, we, we patented some of that and we, we published on it as well at the same time. Yeah. And I left it out there and it was basically the first publication that showed, you know, really showed that you could put all the all the kind of components together and make something that clearly was 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 you know maybe commercially relevant because it the numbers you can run the numbers and the models for the system and the energy densities and all these kind of good things and you could kind of see that this would be this would be comparable with with lithium ion yeah yeah but, but my biggest i always say this to people one of my biggest regrets was i failed to convince valence that this was something worth pursuing. Valence for, at that time were just completely focused on making a business out of lithium ion phosphate. Yeah. I, I can support that. I understand that, right? It was it was struggling at that time. It needed to to have a winner. So it, it decided yeah. to put all the sodium work to one side. Yeah. But I, I kind of logged it away and said, well clearly there was there was there was no fundamental reason why sodium ion battery technology wouldn't be commercially viable. Yeah. I just logged that away. I kind of knew that. I put it in the back of my mind. One or two other people obviously knew that as well, and um, but I couldn't convince Valence, right? So that was that was a that was a regret of mine because they would have had a ten year head start on everybody else. No one was working on sodium ion, right? Zero. Yeah, yeah. I even say to that to the I, I say that to the guys who were, you know, Valence has has, has now kind of changed into Lithium Works now. If you know anything about the industry, and um, I still talk to the guys there on a regular basis, and we kind of laugh about it a bit. But but um, it was a I think a missed opportunity, and I I blame myself for not convincing them at the, 
convinced in the management at the time that that was, that was potentially viable. So I kind of logged it away, right? I logged it away, right? I put it in the back of my mind, that, that, that concept. Difficult times, though, back then. I mean, you, you, you know, you probably were like 2000, 2002, 2003. Yeah. So pre-Dieselgate. Pre. Uh, pre yeah. uh, Elon Musk was still what, fiddling around with PayPal at that point and yeah. uh, hadn't thought about making electric cars yet. Yeah. So let's say the... I was gonna. I was going to say gold rush, but that is so not the right words to use. But the the the, the rush of activity and uh, and sort of and research effort that's gone in on and investment in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't back then. Trying to get anyone really to understand or, or invest in uh, battery technology because it was people were were looking at um, you know. In industrial applications or power tools or, or those were the kind of established markets. Um, AVs hadn't weren't even really on people's radars yet. So no. No. you know you can yeah. see every company like Valence like sort of start a business. I guess but not not quite. But you know what I mean. That that's sort yeah, of young yeah. business. You've got to kind of focus on something, haven't you? You know you. You do, and then maybe, and maybe, hey, right, maybe they were right because they made a business out of lithium iron phosphate, and mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was strange, you know, when we when we developed the lithium iron phosphate technology with 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 Valence, I, I had a, I had a hard job, or we had a hard job as a team, convincing Valence that this that even lithium iron phosphate would be viable. Yeah, because everyone understood, right, that this was maybe a thirty percent decrease in energy density over existing lithium cobalt oxide technology. Yeah. So why why bother, right? It's an interesting technology, but why bother? It's not going to be competitive. What they hadn't realized that lithium iron phosphate is one clearly much cheaper than lithium carboxide, right? Yeah. Secondly, it had much better power capability for, for similar sized cells, and its cycle life was just outstanding. Yeah. Well, and the safety was better, right? Yeah, yeah. We put those things together. People in the market became more sophisticated. They understood that you don't get, as we said earlier, something for nothing. So they could dispense for a lot of applications, energy density for these other um, these other attributes. Yeah. And you look at lithium iron phosphate now, right? It's still maybe 30% of the lithium iron market, maybe more. Yeah. Still maybe growing up, right? So yeah. and 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 the performance now, I it staggers me, Ryan, to be honest, right? When we first started working at Valence on lithium iron phosphate, we were making 18650 cells. That was the first product, right? Yeah. And we we were so happy when we produced the first commercial cells in China, and they were 100 watt hour per kilogram specific energy, right? We were so pleased with that as a performance, right? Yeah. Okay. So at that stage, lithium cobalt oxide was maybe 130 yeah. watt hour per kilogram in the same size, right? Because all size is, is important. Yeah. And now I see, I see. You know, a hundred Chinese manufacturers of lithium iron phosphate, mm. tier one, tier two, tier three. I see them all the time. And you you got you got stuff from BYD and CATL now, lithium iron phosphate. Okay, they're large format cells, but they're, they're 180 watt hours per kilogram. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, Ryan. That what amazing achievement is that? That's almost doubled the that's almost doubled the specific energy. Yeah. Okay, size it, but I never thought that would happen. I thought you would you max out a pretty kind of modest figure. Yeah. But yeah, 
people have done a fantastic engineering job on it. You know, you have to say hats off, right? What a, what an achievement. Well, and just if we if we keep uh, we're, we're here, so I will ask you. <laughs> what do you, what is it that you think has has delivered that? What what uh, what what's happened to to make that possible that you didn't see was possible back then? I think, yeah, I think everything's improved, right? The, elect the aerial capacity of the electrodes is much higher, right? Much thicker electrodes, right? So you end up maximizing the active part and, and minimizing the, the inactive part of the battery. So yeah. you're, you're minimizing current collectors, separators, electrolytes, stuff like that. And then, and then you know, everything else has improved. You know, the, the graphite has improved a bit, the... the, the, the the performance of the lithium iron phosphate when we started it was maybe running at something like 80 percent of the theoretical now it's at 100 percent now yeah and you can buy this stuff for you know you can buy you can buy good quality lithium iron phosphate powder it at manufacturing quantities at less than ten dollars a kilogram in china fantastic yeah you know this is all these things have kind of come together you know, the, the, but it's not mainly been around engineering improvements, not chemistry improvements. Right. Okay. Just packing it better, making the electrodes better, increasing the active loadings, all those good things. But but I seriously didn't imagine that it would go from one hundred to one eighty. No way. Yeah. And 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 what do you think of um, you know, sort of the cobalt based uh, stuff that's kicking around at the moment? Cobalt, you mean that is as in NMC and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, the different uh, those different technologies. Yeah. yeah, so obviously, you know, lithium cobalt oxide was yeah, at the time when lithium iron phosphate came along, that was the incumbent technology. You know, there's still a bit of that around, but not much. So so everything now is around either NCA, nickel, cobalt, uh, aluminium. Yeah. I, I hesitate aluminium. I, I can't even say aluminium because I've kind of been like <laughs> I keep on moving back and forth. So nickel, cobalt, aluminium. I'll say I'll say it in the Europe. <laughs> yeah. And then and then NMC, nickel manganese cobalt. But you know, nickel manganese cobalt, great technology, but people are trying to go to high nickel, low cobalt for yeah. obvious reasons, right? Yeah. So now the ultimate, as you're probably aware, Ryan, you know, that the ultimate in, in NMC right now is eight, you know, thing called eight one one. Yeah. So 80% nickel. 10% cobalt, 10% manganese. It's a great material, but it but it has some it has some issues as well, right? It's a tough material to handle and deal with and safety and things like that. So trying to minimize the amount of cobalt in the formulation is is, is good. And that may, maybe that's a good segue into, into sodium iron, Ryan, because yeah. because so so I say right back, you know, got back to you know back in the UK at this stage later on after I'd left Valence and um there came an opportunity with um, two other people, actually, uh, someone who was running a, um, a, a VC company and, and a colleague of mine, Chris Wright. We were asked to kind of put together maybe some ideas around startup companies in energy storage. Yeah. And that's what that's what uh, was the precursor to making Faradian. I said, look, something that I know will work and hasn't been tapped into quite yet is sodium iron technology. Yeah. So um, we got some initial, initial seed funding in, in, in 2011 and established Faradian as as 100% looking at sodium iron technology, right? We were the first in company who was going to look at sodium iron. Yeah. And um, 
you know, why we were interested, right, was clearly we'd shown previously that this stuff worked. Secondly, that we could probably make um, the cathode chemistry that would be low cost, no cobalt kind of formulations for the cathode. Yeah. And most importantly, Ryan, that you could you could make all this stuff on existing lithium ion manu lithium ion manufacturing lines. Right. You know, there's so many companies, starter companies out there that have come up with some pretty interesting cell chemistries, and then said, "Well, this is great, but by the way, you need you need a new manufacturing method in which to to scale it up." Yeah. Several out there. We you know we could go through those on another call sometime. So we decided that it was very important if you're going to try and license this technology or get this company established in the market, if you could say to an existing lithium ion manufacturer who'd invested in their manufacturing lines, look, sodium ion technology has some big advantages. Guess what? You can run it on your existing infrastructure, same cell formats and everything. This would be a big selling point. Yeah. And that's, that's what's proven, right? That's exactly what's proven out. You know, I, our manufacturing partners now, and you know that one or two of them are in China. We've got one in the UK. They literally are lithium ion manufacturers. They just run our sodium ion chemistry on the same lines. No difference. Yeah. So that is a major, a major, um, a major selling point for the technology. I guess they have to sort of just what, shut the line down and clean it out, and then put the new. Exactly. Right. Exactly. There's one one of our one of our Chinese manufacturing partners. Seriously, Ryan, it's, it sounds it sounds simplistic, but this is absolutely true. They run lithium ion on their manufacturing line for four days of the week, and they transfer it to sodium ion on the fifth. It's that simple. Right. The only difference we always said when we when we were talking to our investors at, at the start, we said, look, what we're going to do for you is we're going to rock up to the to the to the boardroom, show you two cells. Right, one will be lithium ion. One will be sodium ion, and the only difference you were able to tell if you don't do any chemical analysis of this thing is that the, the, the lithium ion cell has a current, one current collector is aluminium, one that's, that's uh, copper, or sodium ion, it will be exactly the same, but both current collectors are aluminium. That's the only difference. Right. We said if you could do that, more sustainable, lower cost, better safety, there's got to be a market for it. And that's kind of where, currently where we're at. We, we, I think everyone now has decided that there's a market for sodium iron. It's now trying to figure out whether it's 1% of the market or 25% of the market. We don't really, we're not quite sure, to be honest. And, um, and what sort of you know, applications are you finding that sodium iron really has uh, an advantage in? Where, where are the sweet spots for it? Well, initially, right, where we're getting, this is for market call now, right? So obviously, we talked to a lot of people who are out there asking for us to fulfill applications. So initially, it's around large format stationary. So we're starting, right? But that's only a start point. So stationary, you know, battery backup, telecoms backup, UPS, some renewables, actually, as well, PV backup. So things like that, but you know we're we're at, we're at the early stage of what we can achieve in terms of energy densities and power densities. So we're not ruling out the possibility that we could move into um, you know automotive going forward. Right. We're, we're also because our power density is pretty good. We're we're already looking at things like um, uh, lead acid replacement for things like SLI batteries, starting lighting ignition. 
Okay. That's a very big market. Yeah, yeah. It's not currently being tapped by lithium iron because of the things like the cost. cost yeah, well, the, I mean, the lead acid, lead acid batteries market's huge still. Fifty percent of the rechargeables market by value is still lead acid. Obviously, it's lead acid going up at more kind of organic growth. Yeah. And lithium iron's going up at you know whatever 20 percent a year or whatever. Yeah. It's still at right now. It's close to fifty percent of the of the rechargeable market is lead acid. Oh, that's interesting because because I've I've seen people starting to look at things like um, so the forklift truck market, for example, and that's replacing it. lead acids with lithium. That's it. But it's it can you know sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't work commercially. So I guess your that kind of thing you you'd be better position to do potentially exactly you know we've talked to it's strange this is, this is a strange one right sometimes some applications kind of blow your mind really but but forklift truck applications we talked to several forklift truck companies and what they like about lead acid is, is not just because it's the incumbent technology but it but it adds ballast to the port- <laughs> yeah, it's heavy yeah so, yeah, so, so the, your problem right you come up with something that, that's five times the energy density in terms of what per kilogram and they say, yeah, but we're going to have to add weight to the back of the port lift if you go that way. We like the fact that it's a fifth of the size and a fifth of the weight. But we don't like the fact that it, it, we need to have ballast on the back of the port lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there is a market there, but you have to kind of think it through a bit. You know, it's uh, it's a kind of weird one, that. Mm. We have looked at that, by the way. But, uh, but yeah. give me some ideas, though, Ryan, about where we are in terms of because the big driver for automotive really comes down to, um, I've kind of slightly contradict what I said earlier about fast charge acceptance, but it generally comes down to energy density, right? You need, you've got to be, you've got to be, it's got to be high energy density to really get into yeah. automotive EV. You, you can't go along with a technology that's 100 watt hours per kilogram when NMC is up at. 240, 220, 240. Yeah. It's a tough one, right? Or NCA is much the same, right? 220 to 240. It's a tough one. So where we are currently is our cells that we make with our our manufacturing partners are about 150 to 160 watt hours per kilogram. Okay. It's pretty good. So it's comparable with like LFP for lithium iron phosphate. Yeah. But we are real early goal. This is really early, early times. Our, our roadmap, and this isn't this is an engineering roadmap more than a chemistry roadmap, is that we think we can get to one ninety in six to nine months from now. Okay. Well, if we start talking seriously, people have, have kind of discarded maybe sodium ion for for high energy density applications like automotive. Yeah. But if we can get into the numbers that aren't far short of NMC, there, there is no reason why we can't penetrate that market as well. We don't think so. We still got, so, you do have, I mean, LFP is being used still. Um, I mean, even, you know, what Tesla's starting to put LFP in cars in China for that market and the bus, transit bus market, LFP is still very popular there. Um, because Actually, we, are, we are looking at that bigger market. You know, the couple of things that Friday have announced is one is, Putting it into into trucks, right? Very large trucks, and um, you're right. Things like like buses are a big one for mm. us as well, potentially. Because large the other port. big driver, you've got energy density is important. Um, what hours per kilogram? 
Volumetric energy density is important as well. Yes, um, absolutely, absolutely. And how, how do you measure upon volumetric? Uh, the volumetric were in the same range as lithium iron phosphate. Okay. All right. So generally, because the formats are very similar, you know, people walk around with these rules of thumb, right, where they say if you give them a watt hour per kilogram figure, generally people will say, well, they'll kind of guess that the watt hours per liter is is generally something like somewhere somewhere between 1.5 and twice the watt hour per kilogram figure. Yeah. So our 150, 160, big surprise, comes out to be somewhere kind of 280 watt hours per liter. Okay. Like that. That's the same as LFP. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. You know, you see some of these numbers right now that are banded around with like the the NMC eight one one with silicon doped graphite systems, right? Yeah, that's the ultimate anode system. You get some some real kind of wacky numbers where the watt hours per liter are up at seven fifty or yeah, something. Yeah, seven eight hundred. Yeah, yeah. It kind of blows your mind. Yeah. You, you never get to that figure. Yeah, but. Um, that market where where LFP is, we think we can move into that and beyond. Yeah. So so it's pretty reasonable actually. Because the other big driver, so we talked about energy density, uh, volumetric energy density, uh, but the third, uh, I don't know, they, these would probably shuffle around in priority, but cost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the C yeah, word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cost. cost. So, so how does that kind of look? Um, is is really is is that the big advantage for sodium ion over it lithium ion? It is, it is. So we, so we, we, you know, when we started this whole thing, Ryan, we, you know, when I, when we used to go out and give investment calls or, or or go see companies with, you know, looking for new applications and things like that, we always used to to go in and say, look, um, you know, we're we're clearly zero lithium, right? We're square sodium ion company and, and we're zero copper as well we don't just use copper yeah. in, in the system either but but now we we quite often say the first thing we say is we're zero cobalt right? <laughs> yeah yeah because everyone, everyone knows about what's going on in you know drc and all the yeah. rest of it so people get that they, they totally get it so now we're saying we're zero cobalt we're zero lithium and we're zero copper yeah. so what we do is we look at we're constantly looking at our costs in terms of the bill of materials, so what all the bits that go in to make the cell, and we compare ourselves with LFP and NMC lithium iron at a similar at a similar manufacturing scale. Because obviously there's a there's a volume to this. Yeah, yeah. And we will always be cheaper than LFP and NMC in terms of dollars per kilowatt hour for an energy application. And are we talking like? A couple of percent, or are we talking 30, like thirty? We think thirty is what we normally say. Thirty percent. Yeah, so it's significant, right? Yeah, yeah. And why we say that, right? You say, well, that's an easy figure to say, but but we we the supply chain is already there, right? Because one of the other advantages of being able to make our cells on a lithium-ion manufacturing line is we can use the same supply chain for a lot of the common elements. So right. It's not like we've got to go out and rebuild a new a new um, uh, you know a new system for a new you know, new components they're the same yeah. component and our cathode material is much more efficient now, i said to you earlier about um things like nmc 811 so 80 percent nickel right 10 percent cobalt 10 percent manganese our ours is a nickel based cathode material but it's more like 30 percent nickel right. it's a much more it's a much more cost efficient solution okay 
So, so we, we kind of feel at a similar manufacturing scale, we will always be cheaper than, than um, lithium ion. Hey, Ryan, what's not to like, Ryan? What's not to like? Right? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you can... <laughs> There's lots of applications today where actually energy density don't matter at all. So it's, yeah. we, we talked about somewhere, you know, it's less important. But in, you know, grid storage, uh, for example, or backup battery systems, UPSs, emergency lighting, you know, and uh, you can just rattle off a whole list of industrial applications where it doesn't yeah. really matter. You know, you, matter. you're either competing against... Um, you know, lead acid or against nothing, you know, you know, so things like um, grid stabilization, that's just a new new market altogether. So the meter applications is very big. Yeah, we we see that you're absolutely right, Ron, what you're saying, because we we originally thought back in 2011, maybe naively, that we had to be a lithium ion beta, you know, we had to do something better than lithium ion, which we still give ourselves that as a target, right? Yeah. Yes, from the numbers I've been saying, comparing ourselves with LFP and NMC. But the reality is, is that we can be a, um, a replacement for lead acid in a lot of applications. People, people a lot of people don't like lead acid. Yes, it's been around a long time. Yeah. A lot of people like it for you know maintenance and lead and how heavy it is and all the rest of it. So there, there are a lot of applications where we don't have to be a lithium ion beater. We just have to be better than lead acid. I just for, for me, so lead acid, right, is is well understood. It's kind of big, chunky batteries, pretty simple <laughs> stuff. But they do um, they degrade over time, um, so you've got to, have to replace them, as everyone will know. You know, flat battery on your car, new uh, new replacement starting battery on your car. But all of the the sort of stationary applications like UPSs and uh, safety lighting stuff like that. What that then means is there's a maintenance cost that you have to go around. And replace the batteries periodically, uh, which requires people and, and spare parts. And the other big thing with lead acid that people don't like, um, so as well as sort of you know relatively slow recharging and such, um, but the, there's a there's a big problem with off gassing when they're when they're That's being it. charged. So they yeah. produce uh, hydrogen gas. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're cycling them really hard, you'll you know actually they they effectively consume um the, the the fluids in them as well so you kind of yeah. have to keep topping them up and adding fluids and stuff so uh, how, how does so this is probably and don't well you can laugh at me actually if you want uh, it's a stupid question but how you know how does sodium ion compare against all of those things with the lead acid you know how, how long is it going to last life cycle rating presumably there's yeah. no sort of Good question. any maintenance needs or you know does it just no no no, no maintenance same as lithium ion yeah. Cycle life, we're looking, that's improving all the time. Cycle life is probably the most difficult thing to, to quantify because it's tested in so many different ways, right? Mm. The rate, the depth of discharge, the temperature, all these things. But we are now rating ourselves at something like 3,000 cycles when we charge and discharge into 80%, which is kind of typical. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's like lithium iron. We're not saying we're better than lithium iron phosphate. We're clearly not stage yeah but we're in the site we're in the same range so it's yeah. maintenance free it is good cycle life and you know five times the energy density of lead acid yeah so so it, to me it, it looks pretty good right I, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a it can't do all applications but it's good for a lot it really is yeah and that cost 
advantage? Um, how, do, how does it um, perform with temperature? So what okay. are the other challenges with the lithium? Actually, lithium ion and lead acid, but for slightly different reasons, is they don't like being cold um, okay. yeah. or hot, <laughs> but particularly cold. So yeah. it's quite hard to charge um, lithium batteries as they get colder. So that what that means is you then have to heat them, typically, if, if you're operating them in an environment where they're going to be cold. Um, which, when you start to think about these things, is, is is a lot of you know. There's a lot of environments that actually are cold. Uh, so, um, how how does sodium ion look in that uh, in that respect? In yeah, we of... actually we actually hold that up as a as an advantage over lithium ion. Actually, right? so that's a good okay. question. Lithium ion. It depends again on a lot of the a lot of the problems with temperature come down to um, the properties of the electrolyte. Right? Yeah. In lithium ion and generally speaking there's not that many different types of electrolyte there's variations on the theme but you're probably aware right that lithium ion operating range is generally at best minus 20 c to plus 60. that's about that's about what it can do well and that would be really at you know that would be really at best uh getting as a few <laughs> cell suppliers just had heart attacks and fallen over there you're going to charge yeah, my cells at minus 20. <laughs> well the problem is actually that temperature unless you do something about the electrolyte it freezes out there's a component in the electrolyte called ethylene carbonate that you kind of have to use yeah without going into all the chemistry you kind of you kind of got to use that 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 component that's that solvent in the electrolyte to be compatible with the graphite anode. Right. right. There's good reasons why you have to do that. Um, people would like to use a solvent called propylene carbonate, and propylene carbonate only differs from ethylene carbonate with a conditional CH3 unit on the on the ring. It's, it's a it's very similar material. But you can't use propylene carbonate with graphite. Right? Yeah. Well, no, cannot, impossible, cannot be done. We use, we don't use graphite. We, we use, a, we use a, an anode called hard carbon, which is a disordered version of, of carbon. It's not like graphite; it's more nicely layered. Yeah, it's, um, it's a disordered carbon. And one of the one of the advantages of using hard carbon is you can use propylene carbonate, and that has a much better liquid range than ethylene carbonate. So we have at the bottom end, we can generally take ourselves down to, to negative 30 degrees C okay. and take it up to at least plus 60 on the on the high side. So we have a bit of an advantage over lithium ion in this range. That is why, Ryan, I know that when we first started this 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 talk, you were asking me about applications, and I said SLI was something we were kind of looking at, yeah. starting lighting ignition. Yeah. That's that's one of the real reasons why lithium ion hasn't really penetrated that market particularly well because it's it's terrible at low temperature right generally so that yeah. cold cranking test minus 40 cold cranking and excursions to plus 80 right they ask for excursions to plus 80 if it's on the if it's on the you leave it on the dash in phoenix in the sun it gets up to like you know more than 60 degrees c yeah so um so ours does a lot better than that at low end and high end so temperature range is one of our advantages, and it it really comes down to the fact that we have more latitude in the electrolyte combination. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. So so then um, just kind of mindful of the time actually now because we've yeah. uh, we've <laughs> it's, it's I told you I'd, uh, 
Well, I told you I could talk a bit about this stuff. Well, I tell you what's absolutely fascinating, and I, and I guess uh, you know people listening will will clearly be able to see that um, what you don't know about um, batteries of all types probably is not really worth knowing. Actually, so, <laughs> uh, it's been fascinating. So, in terms of the future, then, what does the future hold for you guys? What's the next? What's next for Ferradian? Our next steps are getting this into applications. You know, we've um, we've we've announced a few uh, press releases of things where we're going to do demonstrations, as in Australia and in India. And now we are basically, Ryan, dealing with huge numbers of of, of uh, expressions of interest in our technology. Okay. So we've got to take it now. We, you know, we, we've we've maybe made with our with our with our manufacturing partners in China and in the UK, we've probably made, I don't know, a um, couple of hundred kilowatt hours of, of production. It's not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Right? In standard formats, in cylindrical, in pouch cells and prismatic, just to show that everyone this is, is capable of any format, we've now got to take it to the next level. So we're looking at partnerships that allow us to scale up our technology and at the same time, fulfilling all these requirements for applications. Yeah. And also, we will be looking to license the technology to existing lithium-ion manufacturers. Okay. And there's a lot of interest. We have, I would say, maybe calls on this, you know, certainly weekly, people yeah. expressing the interest. Okay. So what we need to do is, is, is get, that ne- get to that next step. Yeah. I was wondering, because, on that, one, one of the... One of the one of the other challenges in the market right now is capacity, and and I mean capacity in terms of like there's a there's I don't know half a dozen big uh, lithium ion cell manufacturers, and yeah. basically if you're not particularly in the automotive world, if you're not committing to like multiple gigawatt hours um, a, a year of, of requirements, they're not interested in talking to you. So I know that for applications off to the one side in um, adjacent markets like you know well like power tool we talked about that being that was an early one but currently you know, power tool market robotics market grid um etc etc a, a lot of these markets um they just can't get cells and even actually i mean tesla themselves talk about like <clears throat> they've they slowed down the, the development of some of their new products because they just couldn't make cells fast enough um for the for the automotive part of the business so what do you, is that a challenge for you guys or is that an opportunity? So in terms of getting the attention of, of cell manufacturers, are you sort of appealing to people who, who aren't in that kind of um, tier one crop uh, to give them some... We talk to them all, Brian, actually. We talk to them. It's a good question. That's a really good question. You know, if you're trying to make some kind of beachhead, you know, get into the market, do you, you know, what do you do as a strategy? Do you go to the tier ones? Yeah. Go to the Samsungs, the LGs, the CATLs, or do you look at companies that may may have some um, may have some excess capacity that they can use, right? Tier twos, tier threes. Yeah. We take an initial um, uh, view that it's maybe better to go to tier two and try and get into the market that way. Yeah. But but we're talking to the tier ones as well. We absolutely are. And I tell you what, Ryan, as well, when we first started on this kind of exercise of Paradian and sodium ion, when we talked to the tier ones, you know, maybe five, six years ago, we had to do a lot of convincing that sodium ion was 
part of the future, right? We really had to do a very good selling job yeah. on this company. There, why sodium ion? We got this great lithium ion technology. Seriously, Ryan, it's an open door now. Yeah. They're all working in this space. Every company, we think, we're pretty sure that every tier one company has a group now working on sodium iron. Yeah. So we so we think as Faradian in the UK, we've got the best IP portfolio by a distance, right? We're the early, we're the early company. Yeah. There's maybe five or six other sodium iron companies worldwide now, but they're all playing catch up. So we've just got to use that that advantage of being the earliest company into the market. Yeah. You know, so I think and I think that's good, but it just keeps the pressure on us all the time. You know, it's a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. People are there. You know, we got we got, as I say, maybe five other five other startup companies plus all the big the big lithium iron makers in that, the same place. That's a challenge at the moment as well. With um, I mean, we certainly see that as a business where you kind of we've been in the EV space for a long time. Not as, not as long as you've been in batteries, but you know, fifteen years in electrification. And, um, you know, there's a lot of investment, a lot of R&D dollars going into the market now. And actually that early maintaining that kind of lead um, is uh, it's tough, you know, trying to keep keep in a position where actually the big guys were sort of it is it is ironic that, you know, three or four years ago, some of the tier ones like laughing you out of the room for talking about electrification or in your case, you know, sodium iron. Um, but now chucking millions if not billions of dollars you can talk to anybody right if i if i were to call out it's, it's, it's still although we say you know it's it's, it's, it's a massive market now the lithium iron all the rest of it it's still kind of a market where you can you can talk you know all the big players in the market you can talk to these people fairly easily right we know the people in the tier ones the tier twos tier threes you can talk to anybody now about sodium iron and they get it. You don't need to convince them that this is part of the future. Yeah. So I think we've got a big opportunity, but as you quite rightly pointed out, that's no guarantee of success. We just got to keep focused and, and you know keep yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, keep it moving. Okay. Well, yeah, brilliant. So if if people are interested, what I'll do is um, in the show notes, uh, I'll put some some links there to Faradian and uh, to Jerry's. Uh, LinkedIn profile. So if people want to get in touch with him, they'll be able to to find him that way. If you um, if you're interested in in, in sodium uh, iron batteries and you think it might be uh, something that's good for an application that you're working on, it'd be easier to get in touch with him that way. Um, we'll put some other show notes down there. But that that is all we've got time for today. Um, so thanks thanks Jerry for for taking the time out to join me. Thank you to everyone for listening and for taking the time out uh, to listen to the show today. Um, I really, I mean, I've learned loads from that. I, I hope you've got something out of that. Uh, don't forget to uh, to like us or leave us a rating um, and a comment or review, depending on which platform you're listening to us on. We are available on every major podcast platform now. I think some people are finding us through YouTube, but then going across to Spotify or Apple uh, for their kind of regular dose. So um, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to find out uh, what we are doing. And remember, if you've got a question on uh, anything to do with the uh, electrification or uh, autonomous market, um, do shoot them in and, uh, and you know, we might be able to turn that into an episode. And uh, if you're doing something uh, really interesting and cool in the EV space um, or the autonomous space, uh, do get in touch as well. We'd love to hear from you. Um, be great to have you as a guest on the show.
So, uh, so like I said, uh, that's all we've got time for. And uh, I really look forward to speaking to you again soon.